0: The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Hi, everyone. Um, let's tan for the reading of the word. I'm going to read it in English first, and then I'm going to read it in Tagalog next um, Matthew one seventeen. So all the generations from Abraham to David were fourteen generations, and from David until the exile to Babylon, fourteen generations, and from the exile to Babylon until the Messiah, fourteen generations. And then now in Tagalog. Sa makatuwid, ang lahat ng salin lahi mula kay Abraham hanggang kay David ay labing apat. Mula kay David hanggang sa pagdalangbihag sa Babylonia ay labing apat ng salin lahi. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Thank you, Esther. What's so, fam?
1: How are you guys doing this morning? Good. Tina's happy to be here today. What's up, my friend? She's like, don't talk to me. I'm in the middle of trying to figure this all out right now. Well, good morning. Welcome to the Burbank location of Story City Church. My name is Jared. I have the honor of being one of the pastors here. We are so excited. A lot of good things happening around the church. Uh, It's, yes, it's Advent time, which is one of my favorites. Uh, We get to play my very favorite Christmas album. It's a tradition here. It's uh, Bad Religion's Christmas album. Gets played at the end of every service. So uh, it's just a beautiful time. For me, uh, I want to extend a warm welcome to those of you who are just checking this Jesus thing out and to those of you who wonder if you'll ever find a place to belong. Welcome to those of you who are hurt and welcome to those of you who have done the hurting. Welcome to those who are spiritually healthy and those who are spiritually dead. Your story is welcome here no matter where you're at in your journey and we are excited that you are here. I want to let you know a little about Story City and that is we have a double major, a double major. What does that mean? It means, when we call something our major, that we are committed to spending an inordinate amount of time, money, effort, energy, uh, and attention to these uh, uh, opportunities over any other opportunities. The first major that we are about is to be a church that plants other churches. We do this for a lot of reasons, but one of them is there's simply not enough churches now, I've come from other places where uh, if, you, if you church plant, they'll, the parent church will tell the, the daughter church, hey, you can't plant within 20 miles of here because we have plenty of churches. We've tried to go into cities and heard a, a church say, well, we're already here, so there's no need for anybody else. But here's the deal. If we took that attitude and we filled every single church in Burbank to its capacity, like to its absolute capacity, we still wouldn't reach a quarter of the population of Burbank. Yes. So, of course, we need more churches. Right? And you extrapolate that across Los Angeles, it's actually more pronounced. Additionally, across the country, people may not realize this, but churches are closing their doors faster than churches are being planted. So it's not getting easier to find healthy churches, it's actually getting more difficult. Our second major we are about is foster care and adoption. And that's because uh, justice and care for the vulnerable is a divine imperative, imperative, and at the very core of our beliefs and it's written from cover to cover in our scriptures. Secondly, we believe that foster care and adoption is uh, the situation in Los Angeles is a crisis of epidemic proportions, and so we feel compelled to do everything in our power to make a difference. Doing something in this area impacts a multitude of issues that face Angelenos, all issues that are near and dear to God's Heart And so for those of you who st- call Story City home, this isn't just something we talk about, but hope that you will engage. And we're always presenting ways for you to engage. There's all kinds of partner organizations. It may be something as small as providing for families that don't have anything at the Boys and Girls Club next door, many of whom are foster families, to, uh, to partnering with the documentary, to being involved in Olive Crest or Royal Family Kids Camp or, or many of the other care portal things that we do as an organization. Okay, so that's what we are about. I'm glad you're here. Being here makes you a part of those things, but also we hope that you would engage fully with all of who you are. Let's get to our minute-to-minute minute minute question for the day. All right, here, is, here it is. What do you enjoy waiting for? And let's get the obvious answer out of the way, nothing. Because I knew somebody was gonna get there right away. Taxes, you enjoy waiting. That's a good one. I didn't think about that. Enjoy waiting for taxes. At the same time, the longer you push it off, the worse of a wait that becomes. Uh, anything else? What else do you enjoy? Is there anything you enjoy waiting for? Vacation. Vacation. You enjoy waiting for it. Yeah. All right. So it just builds the anticipation. Anticip- it just. Wow, that was terrible. Anticipation. <laughs> antici- yeah. Okay. I'll stop before I hurt myself. Anybody else? Waiting in line for a show or concert. Okay. Waiting in line for a show or concert. So the theme here is: it's good to wait for something that you're anticipating getting. And so it's not that bad when you wait for for what's going to be good. All right, what else? Good food. My grandma's sweet good food. Pie. Your grandma's sweet potato pie. I'm still waiting for that too. I don't know where that <laughs> All right. Anybody else? Waiting in line at Disneyland. Waiting in line at Disneyland. I do not like that one. <laughs> uh, but here's the deal. I one of the one of the very few benefits my son gets being special needs is that he gets to skip all the lines, and so it's like a fast pass, right? You, you tell them, hey, this is the ride we want to go on. They're like, hey, come back at this time, and then they take you through the exit. So in that sense, 100%, I love waiting because it's, it's, it's not that much of a burden, which is beautiful. But uh, all right. I, for me, uh, I, I'm in line with you guys. What I do enjoy waiting for is a good brisket. Uh, I like cooking brisket. I know it's weird for a California guy, but um, but I enjoy the 15, 20, 24 hour cook of a brisket. I enjoy all the work that goes into it, but mostly what I really enjoy is sharing it, right? So when you get to 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 cut that up and 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 pass it off to other people, there's something that culminates um, there's something that like all that all that work arrives at that moment of people enjoying it and there's something really special about that moment. So I enjoy all of the work getting up to it because it leads us to something that's really great. Oh, I'm glad, I'm glad, Shawana's experienced some of that. Uh, Today we're kicking off our Advent season with a new series called As We Wait. And in the same way there's this idea of this waiting for, for, for hope. Waiting for fulfillment, waiting for something to kind of happen, right? I love that uh, Incredibles, uh, or Mr. Incredible turns to the little boy, he's like, what are you waiting for? He's like, I don't know, something to happen, I guess, right? It's that same idea. And so today we're specifically talking about waiting for hope. For those of you taking notes today, this is our big idea. It is that Jesus is the past, present, and future hope of our story. Jesus is the past, present, and future hope of our story. We're going to see how we have hope in the promise, we have hope in the path, and we have hope in the person of Jesus. So let's go back and look at the full passage for today. Uh, We'll be in the book of Matthew, chapter 1. For those of you who are new to the Bible, it's actually divided into two parts, Old Testament and New Testament. Jesus has always existed. He has always been God. Uh, All 66 books tell the story of God's redemptive plan through Jesus. The uh, Old Testament is what leads up to him coming. And the New Testament is where he takes on human nature and he enters into our uh, our story in a very real and practical way. And so uh, the story that God tells through the Bible is who he is, what God has done, who does that make us, and then it commissions us to God's mission and purpose in our lives. And so uh, this is the New Testament beginning, if you flip your Bible open to about the middle, that's the Psalms or Proverbs, keep going to the right and you'll find the New Testament starts with the Gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So we'll be in the book of Matthew chapter one today. It says this, an account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac, Isaac fathered Jacob, Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar, Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Aram, Aram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nishan, Nishan fathered Solomon, Solomon fathered Boaz by Rahab, Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered. King David. David David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. Solomon fathered Rehoboam. Rehoboam fathered Abijah. Abijah fathered Asa. Asa fathered Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat fathered Joram. Joram, are you guys bored yet? Joram fathered Uzziah. Uzziah fathered Jotham. Jotham fathered Ahaz. Ahaz fathered Hezekiah. Hezekiah fathered Manasseh. Manasseh fathered Amon. Amon fathered Josiah. And Josiah fathered Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. And wait, there's more. <clears throat> After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah fathered Shelatiel. Shelatiel fathered Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel fathered Abiud. Abiud fathered Elohim. Elohim fathered Azor. Azor fathered Zadok. Zadok fathered Akim. Akim fathered Eliud. Eliud fathered Eleazar. Eleazar fathered Mathan. Methan, father Jacob, and Jacob, father Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. So, all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David until the exile to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the exile to Babylon until the Messiah, 14 generations. And now you see why we did not make Esther read all of that (laughs) scripture. All right, so what the heck is with all the names, and how on earth are we going to get a sermon out of that? Trust me, it's difficult. No, I'm kidding, it's not, bless you. Okay, so it's important to understand that during the story of the first garden, after humanity has sinned, God creates this, this, this beautiful world that works perfectly, right? And he gives humanity this place, in and he says, hey, I, I have a job for you, and we reject that job, we reject that calling, and we do our own thing. And so one of the promises that God gave after the aftermath of sin was that uh, humanity would find redemption through a baby that was born into that very humanity. That baby would bring about the final downfall of Satan and the restoration of humanity's relationship with God, relationship with creation, and relationship with each other. And there are hundreds of prophecies that all point to Jesus, the coming Messiah, starting in uh, Genesis chapter 3. Uh, but one of the main ones would be that he would be from the tribe of Judah and from the royal lineage of King David. That's one of the things that says that the Messiah, how the Messiah will be born, or through whom the Messiah would be born. Now, uh, Matthew's gospel is written to a very Jewish audience. He's writing to Jews who would have understood the promises and they would have known the stories and the history of all these people's names. So for us, it's kind of like, who begat, what is a begat? Like, what is that, right? But for them, it would have been, oh, these are stories that are known. They're, They're experiences that point back to what God has done. And it would, in their mind, relive these ideas of failure and pain and heartache, uh, but that God kept coming through despite that. And so that's one of the most fascinating things about this lineage is that some of these names are shocking. Two of Jesus' human ancestors are actually not Jewish at all, which is like, right? They're people that came from outside, and it points to what God was going to do in the end is bring all creation into his name, not just the Jewish people, but bringing in the Gentiles as well. Ruth, in the story, is from Moab, but she didn't even grow up with Yahweh as her God. She grew up serving other gods, but she falls in love with Yahweh and, and through her mother-in-law, after her husband dies, finds uh, Yahweh and ends up marrying into Jesus's, uh, to what would be Jesus' family line. Just after that, it talks about Rahab, who was actually a prostitute, also not Jewish. And she protected some Hebrew spies who were scouting out the land to see if, uh, who were surveying the promised land to see if that's exactly where God was taking them. And uh, and she protects them and saves them, and she becomes a part of Jesus' royal line. Many of the other stories are definitely NC-17. Not appropriate for church, right? Or anywhere else. Some of these are pretty horrific stories. And so many of these stories include incredible pain, suffering, deep sin, and hopelessness. How could any of these people, some of the stories we know, some of them we don't, but how could any of them contribute to the joy of the whole earth as broken as they are? For those of you taking notes today, this brings us to our first observation for the day. There is hope in the promise. There is hope in the promise. Now, as we talked about in these genealogies in, in, in Jewish culture, you wouldn't name every single name. That's just not, it wasn't, um, it's not Greek storytelling where there's like beginning, middle, end, right? That's how you get your tragedies and everything else. In Hebrew storytelling, it's beginning, middle, beginning because they figure you already know the end. And so part uh, part of the... The, the idea of listing a genealogy was the idea of, hey, we're hitting the, the big ones, the ones that you would have relevance to you and understand, because these are places where either they did something uh, memorable or they parented somebody that was memorable. And so this is how the, it gets listed so that we understand and know the big names that are on there. Now in verse one, Jesus is called both the Son of David and the son of Abraham. This is a foundational piece because it's through Abraham that we see God establish a covenant with his people to send the promised Messiah through Abraham's offspring. God makes a covenant, which is a promise that the, the duty to fulfill doesn't fall equally on both people. A covenant is a promise where the duty to fulfill falls primarily, in this case, on God. That he's the one that's responsible for accomplishing the covenant. A promise that he will never back away from. And so he promises that he's going to make Abraham's family a great nation that would become a blessing to the entire world. Genesis chapter 12, 1-3 says this. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your land, your relatives and your father's house, to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be, a, will be blessed through you. So Abram, whose name is later changed to Abraham, is asked to have faith in a God who's asking him to leave everything he knows, the gods of his fathers, his father's home, uh, and, and follow this God to a place unknown. The book of Hebrews describes it this way. Hebrews 11:6 to 9 says, now without faith it's impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. By faith he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. And so Abraham has this interaction with God that results in a promise, not just for Abraham, but a promise for all of humanity, which includes us. Unless you're in this room and you're not human, and then I don't have anything to say to that. But with this promise that Abraham believes God is going to do what he's going to do. And that's Abraham's hope. Abraham's hope. And the beauty of biblical hope is that it is the confidence that something will happen, not the wishful thinking that comes from philosophical hope. As one author writes, philosophical hope reflects good and bad experiences and then is a projection of one's own subjective possibilities right hope is sort of this it may it may not happen that's the experience I've had but biblical hope rests on the trustworthiness of God to keep his promises and we know that God is trustworthy and that his word never comes back unfulfilled one of the words that the Bible often uses for hope is the word kawah kawah means to wait or to look for with eager expectation specifically directed to Yahweh It's this understanding of his nature and his character and the reliance on who he is as God, that he is unchanging, that he doesn't fail us, he doesn't let us down, that that's what gives us this hope. That's what that word entails. And so we are eagerly awaiting, eagerly expecting God to come through all knowing that he will never fail to do what he has promised. So see, fam, we have answers to the promise that those who came before Jesus never had. Yes. Paul writes this in Hebrews 11.32. He says, And what more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouth of lions, quenched the raging of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength in the weakness, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Other people were tortured, not accepting release, so that they might gain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings, as well as bonds and imprisonments. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All of these were approved through their faith, but... They did not receive what was promised, receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us so that they would not be made perfect without us. The promise, what they were waiting to receive was Jesus. It's the Messiah. They didn't get to see it, they didn't see the hope. We live on the other side of that where we understand how God answered that question. And so Paul here is talking about Jesus, the Messiah, our forefathers, foremothers, foreparents. Four people. Our four people believed in the promise so much that they suffered tremendously, waiting for fulfillment that actually wouldn't come in their lifetime. And that is credited as faith. Paul argues though that their faith is ultimately fulfilled in the, the birth and the resurrection of Jesus. And here's what's incredible. This is our heritage as well. We get to experience this as well. For apprentices of Jesus, we've been adopted into the family of God, and this is also our lineage and our promise. We're the ones who benefit from the promise as we, those who apprentice Jesus, are now God's chosen people and children of the covenant promise. It all applies to us. Jesus then is our hope from our past and the foundation of our hope for the future. For those Taking notes today, that brings us to our second observation for the day. If you look at your Bible, this passage in today's scripture is actually broken into three uh, distinct areas. Most Bibles break it up like this. From Abraham to David, there's a little subtitle. From David to the Babylonian exile. And then from exile to the Messiah. So when we talk about Abraham and all those incredible ancestors up and into King David, they have this promise they're living by, right? The Messiah is going to come. It started in Genesis chapter 3 and and they're waiting expectantly for, for this hope, for this restoration. But then something happens. Verse 6 says this. And Jesse fathered King David. David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. That's a whole other story in itself. Solomon fathered Rehoboam. Rehoboam fathered Abijah. Abijah fathered Asa. Asa fathered Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat fathered Joram. Joram fathered Uzziah. Uzziah fathered Jotham. Jotham fathered Ahaz. Ahaz fathered Hezekiah. Hezekiah fathered Manasseh. Manasseh fathered Amon, Amon fathered Josiah. And Josiah fathered Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. David the king, the one who is called God man after God's own heart, has this incredible moral failure. This incredible lapse where he uses his authority as king to rape Bathsheba and then murder her husband. You know, the little things the child of that union though is Solomon and God brings restoration where Solomon is, is also a man who uh, who in the beginning is after God's own heart and he seeks out God and God makes him the, the most wise and most wealthy of all kings. But after Solomon and this good and blessed time where the kingdom is prospering, his son Rehoboam is not him. He is not wise and his stupidity and terrible leadership divides the kingdoms where 10 uh, of the tribes go their own way to stay with him and then this civil war ensues between the tribes of uh, between the nations of Judah and the nation of Israel and they would be engaged in this constant civil war sometimes at peace most of the time at war um, and all of this stuff going on until the Babylonian exile Now, remember, through all of Israel's existence, there is this anticipatory hope that the Messiah is going to become and set all things right. But to go from the place Israel held with King Solomon, right, this military king, King David, this time of peace and wisdom and prosperity under Solomon, this place of civil war, does not seem like the right path for the Messiah to come. I mean, think about it. People from all over the world were coming to Solomon to experience his wisdom and his wealth. And now they're in this place where, where things are falling apart internally, and then it gets worse. The Babylonian Empire comes in and 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 takes captive all the people, they destroy the temple, and they move the best of both nations back to Babylon. They leave the poorest and they take the best and the brightest into Babylonian empire and culture. Uh, which is a promise to end the culture, cultural and religious identity of the Jews. That's the result. That's the intent, is to bring the best ideas and people into the Babylonian Empire to strengthen the Babylonian, Babylonian Empire, but it ends the religious and cultural identity of the Jews. And so it's in the midst of this confusion, pain, frustration, that the prophet Jeremiah is struggling to see hope in the ancient covenant promise that God has given. He's so emotional about Israel's downfall that he earns the nickname the weeping prophet as jeremiah is crying out to god god responds and tells the weeping prophet what to say to the babylonian exiles regarding the ancient covenant promise he says this in jeremiah 29 10 to 14 for this is what the lord says when 70 years for babylon are complete i will attend to you and will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. You will call to me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. I will be found by you. This is the Lord's declaration. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you. This is the Lord's declaration. I will restore you to the place from which I deported you. Though the banishment and exile were ultimately due to Israel's disobedience and rejection of God's way of living, God never forgot his promise to his people. He never forgot it. He was never going to let it go. It was always going to be fulfilled. Now, I don't know about you guys, but my life isn't exactly the way that I had imagined when I was younger. I'm sure that's not the case for you. You guys are probably falling perfectly on plan A. But my path has been wandering and weird. That's probably the best way I can describe it wandering and weird. Now some of this has been because of my own hurts, habits and hang-ups. Some of it has been because of the hurts, habits and hang-ups of other people. And some of it has simply been God knowing what is best for me even though I never would have chosen those things for myself. I recall one specific place in my life that was really evident. I had just graduated high school and I was on my way to college. The only college that would accept me with a 1.96 GPA. Oh <laughs> Some of you are like, oh my gosh, this is a guy that teaches us the Bible. <laughs> college was much better, people. Relax, it's okay. But I'm two weeks from heading off to Pasadena for Bible college, and God very clearly tells me, go in the Navy. I was like, that's dust. I am, what? I do not want to go in the Navy. That was not my plan. It uh, wasn't even in my wildest dreams. And then eight years after being in the Navy, my career starts taking off. I'm like, this is amazing. This must be what God has for me. He's like, hey, um, time to get out and go be a pastor. I was like... I, I could have done that eight years ago. Like what on earth? But one of the things that God did was have me come in as a chaplain's assistant. Allowed me eight years of sitting at the feet of people and asking questions from all of my, my Jewish rabbis, my Catholic priests, secular and ordered from a, a plethora of Protestant denominations and just getting to ask thousands of questions. Getting to ask questions many other people didn't. It was a very long, very helpful educational process now God had told me when I was a child that I'd be a pastor someday I knew that I didn't understand how it would happen and the path of the Navy did not seem to have any relevance to the path that God had told me especially when he pulled me out of Bible college but now that path is one of the things I am most grateful for it's one of the sweetest parts of my journey because so many things happened as a part of that that helped develop me my theology my understanding of God make sense if it doesn't, that's okay. We can talk later. For those taking notes today, this brings us to our third and final observation for today. And that is that there is hope in the person. There is hope in the person. Look with me at the last section of today's scripture. Verse 12 on. After exile to Babylon, Jeconiah fathered Shilatiel. Sh- like right, whatever. Well, hard name. Fathered Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel fathered Abayud. Abayud fathered Elakim. Elakim fathered Azor. Azor followed Zadok. Zadok fathered Akim, Akim fathered Eliad, Eliad, fathered Eleazar, Eleazar fathered Methan, Methan fathered Jacob, and Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David until the exile to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the exile to Babylon until the Messiah, 14 generations. There is this building anticipation, this, this promise that, that, that the promise that God had said he was going to fulfill was coming closer and closer and closer with each name and every single story. That God was moving all humanity towards the fulfillment of his promise. The promise of not just a Messiah who would rescue Israel from their pain and heartache once and for all, but a Messiah who would rescue and redeem all those who apprentice Jesus, whether they're Jew or Gentile. The fulfillment of the covenant promise that that God originally gave to Abraham. I will bless those who bless you, I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed for you. But this also fulfills the promise that was given to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. The promise of rescue and restoration that God had designed from the very beginning of creation. Now here's what's incredible. Not only do we have the hope fulfilled now that Jesus Messiah is born and we get to sing Christmas. I love this time of year because we sing Christmas songs to my Messiah whether people realize it or not. I get to go in the mall even in the elevators and hear Jesus being proclaimed whether people realize it or not. And so not only do we have the hope fulfilled now in Jesus being born but we also fam have the future hope that God will set all things right someday. The first garden where sin happened by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is not the final garden where we get to experience God. There is still a future hope for those of us who are apprentices of Jesus. And this is the story of that genealogy. God created a kingdom, and he is king. But he made humans to represent him in that kingdom. Adam and Eve rejected the call, which led to sin and death, but God promised to defeat the serpent through the offspring of the woman who is also the offspring of Abraham. Through Abraham's family and specifically Judah's royal offspring, King David, the covenant blessings would come to the world. Because all people were guilty and deserved death, the sacrifices of the Mosaic law revealed more clearly their need for a uh, substitute. The suffering servant promised in Isaiah. Through that servant and the work of the Spirit, God would establish a new covenant and give lasting, everlasting life to his people in the new heavens and the new earth. And Jesus Christ is the one through whom all these promises find fulfillment. First in his sacrificial death for sin and then in his victorious resurrection and reign as king. Revelation chapter 21, verses one, one to four says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. And finally, we see the tree of life in the new garden, Revelation 22, 1-5. Then he showed me the river of water of life, clear as a crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the city's main street. The tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations, and there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and the servants, servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Family, someday all things will be redeemed. As it was in the beginning, God's people will always be dependent on him for life, but we've seen that he can and always will be trusted to give us what we need. This is why we have certainty in the hope that we wait for. What is the ultimate hope for those who apprentice Jesus? For all of eternity, we have the joy of trusting him and receiving from him. That's exactly what we're made for, to live in and enjoy the life-giving presence of God. The battle has been won. The Bible says God is only waiting to set everything right because he's giving people the opportunity to come and apprentice him. This is the story of the Bible. Family, this is a story of hope from the past that gives us hope for today and the hope we have for eternity. Now we're going to enter a time of communion, a time that, that reminds us exactly of that hope. Matthew, he records this in his gospel. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it and broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, take it and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Family, in life we can only go so long without food or water before we experience the reality of death. In the same way, Jesus tells us we must be abiding in him, connected to him, regularly in communion with him, like a branch to a vine. We must feed on Jesus or face spiritual withering and lack of fruit. William Farley writes, to abide means literally to dwell in. We dwell in Christ by abiding in the truths of the gospel. So this morning as you come forward to take the juice and the bread, walk back to your seat, before you take the elements of your family or friends or community, uh, missional community, reflect on the gospel, reflect on what we've said today, that despite our rebellion and the wrath we deserved, God himself came to rescue and renew all creation through the person and work of Jesus. And we are his adopted and beloved children called to his mission as we love Jesus and our neighbors. Let's pray. God, you are so gracious. You are so kind. You are unbelievable. I thank you that you have given so much. You have sacrificed so much. But it's not based on the good we do or how righteous or holy we are, but simply how righteous and holy you are. I thank you then that we get to explore and live in your righteousness because of our status with you as your beloved children. Lord, we believe. Help us in our unbelief. Meet us right here in the name of Jesus. Amen.